Hello and welcome to Series 5 of the Why I Knit podcast. My name is Dr Mia Hobbs and I'm a clinical psychologist who is passionate about knitting and its benefits for our mental health. Each week on the podcast I talk to a different knitter about why they knit and how knitting benefits their mental health. This week on the podcast I'm delighted to be joined by Jude Harper who is the dyer behind Stranded Dye Works and also the host of the Stranded podcast on YouTube. You can find links to Jude's website and podcast and social media in the show notes. So hi Jude, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you very much for having me. It's very exciting to talk to you. Um, So I always start the podcast by asking where your story with knitting began. So where did yours start? Oh wow, Uh, so it was quite a few years ago now, back in, I think it was 2009, Mm-hmm. And I had just I was doing a foundation diploma at art school in art and design. And I just discovered the kind of craft blogging community. And uh, I don't know how familiar with I mean, I'm not particularly involved in that community at all anymore. But at the time I was reading uh, a blog called A Beautiful Mess, which is still quite a famous blog. And they were very um handmade and crafty at the time now they're a little bit more polished and exclusive but you know back however many years ago it was lots of um like handmade it was that kind of time when everybody had owls everyone was making like little owls it was very like twee and I decided that I wanted to make everybody handmade Christmas presents Mm -hmm. and my mum like I think most mums would have been pretty happy with any ridiculous junk that I'd given her because (laughs) I'd made it and I think that year on the subject of owls she got a little key ring that I like a felt key ring Mm -hmm. alongside other stuff but you know I was 18 and I didn't have a job I was at art school and you know making ridiculous stuff but my dad was very much he was a bit more practical and liked useful things Mm -hmm. I was like well I can't give him a ridiculous key ring because (laughs) you know that's not that useful so I decided that I was gonna make him a scarf he was a mechanic he worked outside I was like I'll make him a scarf and he can wear it to work I'd never knit anything before Uh, my mum could knit um, but she was a terrible teacher she uh, (laughs) really she had no patience for teaching anyone anything Uh so I was like right okay I taught myself how to knit using just basic YouTube videos it was just the knit casting on and the knit stitch I didn't have any yarn I decided I'm one of those people I decide that I want to do something I want to do it straight away I didn't have any yarn on hand my mum had these like bobbins of tapestry wool because oh, yeah. she used to do like uh tapestry cushions years and years ago and uh, she gave me a couple of them so I tied these bobbins of tapestry wool together uh to uh, to practice my knitting and I went out and I bought myself three balls of black acrylic DK weight yarn because uh, I was like right well dad will wear a black scarf wow black oh, challenging yeah. <laughs> and I think I made you didn't know, know that some... yet <laughs> oh no no I <laughs> no. just went in blindly I had my straight needles I think they were probably four millimeter straight needles that were probably my mum's from like the 80s um and I was like right I'm gonna make this very simple garter stitch scarf probably mm-hmm. a little bit too short uh, had little black acrylic tassels 
on each end and uh, I gave it to my dad for Christmas and he wore it um, quite a lot I think mm. I mean he still had the scarf it was I was going through their possessions recently I've been clearing out their house they both mm. passed away last year and um, he still had the scarf in his wardrobe Aww. so uh, I uh, now have the scarf and oh, I like to refer do. it to uh, I like to refer to it as the scarf that launched a thousand skeins yes because to without, against the black <laughs> right without that start of starting that scarf I probably wouldn't be where I am today yeah so, uh, yeah, I did take a little bit of a backseat with knitting after that. I was very into all crafts at the time. So okay. I made the scarf and I was like, right, I've conquered knitting. I can do garter stitch. I'm done. Um, and I probably went back to it about 18 months later and like started. I think I made a hat and a couple of other bits. Um, and I, I got don't a know job. if it is your main, is it your main like craft now? um yes it probably is and the sort of subject of like fiber craft crafts I mean uh dyeing obviously I do for a job but um uh, knitting is probably the craft that I still do the most I do it a lot less than I used to I it was probably the number I was a knitter and that was all I was that's how I defined myself um for probably a good eight or nine years and that was sort of all I did. Um, I was living in my parents' house, didn't have a huge social, I didn't really have any social life. I didn't really know that many people in the area. Um, and I was working a, a part-time job that I didn't really like. And I was like, right, okay, I'm just gonna, I, I, I knit pretty much constantly. And I watched a lot of podcasts and I was a, a, quite a big, uh, I consumed a lot of like knitting media and, um, and I did, I, and I, I have a spinning wheel, and I will spin occasionally. But now I do, I do it a little bit less because I'm sure you know what it's like. I've got my own house, and uh, I run my own business, and there's an assortment of uh, jobs and things that get in the way of that. But uh, knitting, apart from my newfound love of DIY, um, and uh, I'm getting into sort of cooking and baking and stuff. But knitting is probably the still the kind of primary fiber arts craft that I did mm-hmm. okay so you tried in your like uh college presumably lots of different crafts in that yes. phase yes and what do you think it was that made knitting become the one even if you're doing it less now it sounds like it it really stuck for a good while oh, that it was yeah. the main yeah definitely I was always somebody who like flipped in between different things my mum used to describe everything as being like a five minute wonder with me um and I would do sort of all all throughout sort of being a kid and sort of growing up and stuff I do all sorts of like little crafty things loads of kits and stuff and then I would be and I was really into painting for a while and all sorts of other things and I was really into drawing for a bit um I think with knitting it's got that kind of it's very relaxing but it's also useful so you've got that thing at the end that you can use which is very satisfying and I really liked being able to make my own sweater make my own hat and someone sort of say oh I like your hat and I'd be like oh thanks you know made it myself Mm. um and the more I kind of got into that I sort of you start with kind of your garter stitch blankets and stuff and you move on to sort of 
maybe stockinette socks and things like that and I I liked that it was portable as well Mm -hmm. and I could stick a sock in my bag and I could knit on the bus I could knit while I was uh, waiting at the dentist's or something like that I could knit on my lunch break at work and it made all this time that was sort of otherwise wasted time Mm -hmm. um productive and I have a big thing about um, being productive and busy I'm not very good at resting and I am trying to get better at that as I get older but uh definitely during my 20s I wanted to be as sort of as productive and as busy as possible and I I loved that feeling that you can't just sort of sit on the bus and uh, and pull a spinning wheel out or like a grab a canvas and start making a painting but you can even if it's just a couple of rows on a sock it's still a couple of rows on a sock you know and yeah. Uh, yeah I think that's probably why it stuck for me mm. yeah I was knitting in the queue for this flute concert this morning <laughs> there you <laughs> go <laughs> yeah. oh, perfect yes and do you think it was a way of making your rest like productive do you think that helped you to rest to sell rest definitely definitely (laughs) I uh, am one of those people I'm really bad at sort of sitting down if I'm like watching a film or something I struggle to just concentrate on that um and I I feel like I concentrate a lot better if I've got knitting or like crochet or whatever in my hands and I, it makes me pay attention a lot more. Um, otherwise, my mind wanders or I mm. pick up my phone and I start mindlessly scrolling through stuff and I'm not, you know, sort of concentrating. Whereas when I'm knitting, as long as it's not something that requires a ridiculous amount of attention, like um, you know, complicated colour work or uh, lace or something and requires counting, I can quite happily just knit and be paying attention to whatever's on screen or whoever's talking to me or whatever and Mm -hmm. uh, that way I'm kind of I'm doing two things at once I'm resting I suppose and consuming media or I'm a lecturer at art school or whatever and uh, I'm also making this sock or putting some rosin on a jumper. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned being a big consumer I think you said of like knitting content I don't know whether you felt like it gave you like a community yes feeling definitely so back when I just left university I dropped out of university with about uh, I dropped out in the February so there was about two months left of my degree and uh, it got to the point where I was really really depressed and I had no other options I had to it was you know had to leave school and I uh, moved into the spare bedroom at my mum and dad's house which wasn't the house that I grew up in uh-huh. so they'd they'd relocated they'd retired to the coast uh, I didn't know anyone there at all and um, I couldn't drive they were a mile away from the nearest bus stop um, so I was very kind of isolated and my mum was great she was always enthusing about whatever I was interested in she she was a knitter so she was interested in the stuff that I was making um but I sort of felt like uh, nobody really kind of enjoyed it like I did had the same passion for it so I started watching knitting podcasts and stuff on YouTube and listening to podcasts um, and really, really enjoyed them. And it got to the point where whenever I finished anything, I'd be like, I'd show my mum. And she'd be like, oh, you know, it's great. You finished another pair of socks. Brilliant. I'm like, I kind of want someone to be like, oh, you know, that's amazing. That's t-. She was, you know, 
not that uh no one can enthuse that much about anything so I thought oh, okay well I'll start my own podcast mm-hmm. and this was now I think uh, there are so many and there were there were quite a few when I started back in I think it would have been 2015 mm-hmm. um so was so that was, before Stranded came about it was about the same time okay I started Stranded in November 2015 and I I either started the podcast the very end of 2015 or the very beginning of 2016 it was the same sort of time mm-hmm. I was still doing stranded part-time definitely uh, and working part-time mm-hmm. um when I started the podcast and it was great to uh be able to kind of connect with other people um via my laptop balanced on a box um in my tiny little box room that I was living in at my mum and dad's um and be able to sort of connect with other people across the world and across the country and stuff and uh yeah and felt like um had a bit of a community I went from being quite isolated to you know having people to reach out to which was Mm. amazing and it sounds like you found those people who were doing R over every single pair of socks <laughs> yes. in a different way to your mum. <laughs> right. People on the internet are brilliant. <laughs> yeah. But I do think it's a, like I was um, doing a talk yesterday um, to some non-knitters about how craft could be therapeutic and beneficial for our mental health. And, you know, giving my top five tips and the last of which is to show and tell. And And I think that is a big thing is that we don't, we're not so good at it as adults as we yeah. you know as kids are they automatically oh, anything they yeah. do they want to come and wave under your nose so you can see it and um but it feels nice doesn't it to, for someone yeah. to say oh did you make your hat or to uh, yeah. oh, well I love the colors you chose for that jumper or whatever it is yeah yeah it gives you an extra boost exactly. Um, exactly so this podcast is about like how knitting benefits your mental health what do you think you've got from knitting over the years and has it changed or stayed the same <sighs> So I think, and it, it's definitely, my relationship with knitting has definitely changed more recently, but I think I, I have got a lot from it over the years. Um, I definitely believe that. I think I wrote a blog post on it years and years ago when I still had a blog that nobody ever really read, but <laughs> I was I was determined I was going to make it as a blogger. So I had, I had this blog that I, uh, and I, I wrote a post about how knitting saved my life. And I can't remember... I want to say this was around 2016 mm-hmm. and I had gone from leaving university and being sort of unable to go to the supermarket without having a panic attack to uh, I just booked tickets. Um, I just booked a flight to fly to Nashville, Tennessee on my own for the very first time getting on a plane on my own uh, to go to a knitting retreat um, that some they're now very good friends of mine but at the time I'd never met them and we'd only sort of spoken like a couple of comments here and there on social media they run an amazing retreat called Super Summer Knit Together in uh, in Tennessee and I decided I really wanted to go I loved their podcast the Knit Girls podcast absolutely loved it that watching that had sort of helped me through a huge pit of depression and I was like right I want to go and I want to meet other people and that was definitely kind of down to knitting and it was a complete turnaround from where I had been um and it's that sort of point of like okay yeah I can 
I can make things for myself. I was going to a knit night uh, in person and like, you know, talking to people that I'm still really good friends with now. Um, and I made so many friends on that trip to mm. Tennessee. And I have been back barring the last three years, um, 2020, obviously 2021 sure. was canceled for COVID. Uh, and last year I had to cancel last minute due to sort of family emergencies. Um, but I've been back ever since and I'm heading back there this summer. And uh, yeah, so that it kind of turned my life around, mm. which was amazing. Just that kind of stitch by stitch, that sort of slow, quiet productivity of like putting myself back together. And mm. uh, even days where um I'm sure you I don't know if you've experienced depression yourself, but I'm sure in your profession come uh, uh, up with quite a get up against uh, all sorts of different mental health conditions, mental health conditions. Um, but it kind of sucks all your energy out and you don't feel like you uh, can like getting out of bed is, is is an effort and everything is an effort and it feels like you haven't achieved anything. So even something like knitting that doesn't really require a lot of physical effort. Even if at the end of the day, the only thing I'd done was, you know, I'd maybe knit the cuff of a sock or I'd finished, you know, a sleeve or something. It was something physical that I could see yeah. that I'd made. And I think those little building blocks really helped when I was putting myself back together. Mm. So it sounds like the sense of achievement was helpful and something you could do even from bed if you couldn't get out of bed and something you can do a tiny tiny amount of if that's what you're you've got bandwidth for that day yes definitely definitely Mm -hmm. and I've got quite a lot of friends who've got various chronic illnesses Mm. have said the same thing to me um lots of my friends who are knitters have got a chronic fatigue syndrome um and that sort of thing of it's that it's having a hobby um that you can just plug away at that doesn't require too much um that you can do even when you're feeling a bit tired and rubbish and I think that's really helpful yeah and it sounds like the community aspect was a big part for you as well of finding a way of accessing your tribe in a way definitely I am a very yes I am quite an introverted person especially if I don't know other people it takes me a while to feel comfortable around them um and having that shared interest was a really great jumping off point Mm. um yeah definitely that must have been a huge step that first flight (laughs) yeah I uh yeah I'd never been on a plane on my own before I'd never been out of the country on my own I'd never been on holiday on my own and uh I'd been to America twice but not to the bit I was going to I'd booked a hotel I'd booked the retreat and I booked the flights and I just sort of went and hoped for the best. And it could have gone horribly wrong. And there were a couple of points where I ended up in a motel that was quite dodgy. That, uh, and I was like, this is not somewhere. There was like, there was a burnt out car in the parking lot. Ah. And it, it wasn't the sort of the place that you'd want. I was only supposed to be staying there for one night. But I was like, I don't think I want to be here. And um yeah but I sort of managed to kind of handle it in a kind of this is ridiculous sort of way and and uh, I found somewhere else to stay but uh dealing with things like that I think would have completely broken me a few years previously hmm. um so yeah sort of I don't know I'm guessing knitting and the people I met 
definitely played a huge part in making me a more resilient person I think Mm. and I guess I don't know how it worked for you but sometimes when we take a moment of bravery and it kind of works out it sounds there were a lot of gains for you from that trip like in terms of friendships that have lasted a long time yeah um I don't know whether it then encouraged you to do other like moments of bravery when you had the yeah definitely and sometimes you don't think of them at the time as like a as a sort of a moment of bravery a lot of people I moved to Scotland I was living on the Sussex coast with my parents and I decided I was going to buy a house uh, I couldn't afford to buy a house in the southeast um and I was like right I'm gonna go to Scotland so it's a solid 500 miles away from where I was living uh, I'd been to Scotland a couple of times and I knew two people that lived in Scotland mm-hmm. and uh, neither of them live near where I ended up buying a house um but I sort of I I went I viewed my house bought the house on a weekend and I was like right okay great moved up here drove 500 miles on my own I was like right okay and everyone sort of after was like that's that was a really brave thing to do and I was like oh it's just a it's just a thing that I'm doing I mean and then there was like a, a global pandemic and I was shut in my house for two years but uh yeah <laughs> you know character building stuff but yeah definitely I think the more you do things that kind of get you out of your comfort zone and it doesn't end horribly you think okay well maybe the next time someone says oh do you fancy doing this and you my instinct is usually when someone uh, asks me something used to be just to say no mm. and I'm getting better at being like okay well what is the worst that's going to happen I'm probably not going to die Mm -hmm. it might be awkward it might be uncomfortable and if it is I can just come home again or just Mm -hmm. not do it again but most of the time yeah most of the time things work out and then I'm more encouraged to be like okay maybe I will do that thing and even if it's not always brilliant in the process like you might feel glad you did it in retrospect or like feel proud that oh I pushed myself or uh I don't know yeah definitely that achievement (laughs) definitely um yeah, there are a lot of things that I probably if somebody said, oh, you know, you could change one thing in your past. Like, there, There's a few things I'd go back and look at. I'm like, probably wasn't the best decision to have made at the time. But if I change it, then I don't know if I'd be where I am now. Mm. And I'm quite happy where I am. now. Like, I don't know if like skipping one of the jobs that I worked on um, while I was just doing like, retail work. Um, they weren't the most fulfilling things at the time, but I met people that I wouldn't have met otherwise. Um, and I, I often sort of say that maybe I wouldn't have gone to art school because I ended up leaving without a degree with the best part of three years of student loans that at some point I'm well, worried about paying them back at some point. But uh, um, so I, I feel like I didn't get anything out of that experience. But if it hadn't been for art school, I wouldn't have started dying yarn just mm. for something to do in the tiny shoebox kitchen of the flat that a friend and I were sharing and uh, yeah so I, I don't know if I would have got into yarn dyeing and that's what I do for a living now and have mm. done for like the last and what was seven it and a half that years. made you start that like because I guess it's very different to knitting isn't it it's a completely different yeah thing. it is I used to Years and years ago, while I was still in my trying all the crafts phase, I did some tie dye and stuff um, and quite enjoyed it. And I think I watched a few podcasts while I was at uni. I was just sort of getting into knitting podcasts as I was running uh, 
to the point where I was about to leave uni. And sort of a couple of people would talk about dyeing yarn and things. I'd be like, okay, well, maybe I can give that a try. I was working for uh, a big box craft store here in the UK at the time. And uh, used to spend a lot of my staff discount buying craft supplies. And they had just plain, it wasn't really undyed yarn, but it was just like white wool yarn. And I picked up a few balls. I think it was like patterns. I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but it was like just fingering weights, um, like 50 gram balls. And I would pick up uh, a couple and then I would wind them. I had a swift, so I'd wind the yarn off on, into skeins. Um, and I bought like a super beginner acid dye. But it was all in one. So the acid was already mixed in with the dye powder. And I would sit and like hand paint uh, on the, like on big bin bags on the floor at university. Mm-hmm. Um and hand paint this yarn and it was you know mixed results I think I uh my mum had a skein of it in her stash and I was using it while I was there in the summer last year to make my uh make my niece a little jumper um yeah I just got really into I love playing with color Mm. and I think I was I was doing an illustration degree uh an illustration animation degree at university and I realized about a year into the degree that I should be doing a textiles degree right uh but i wasn't able to change so i was i tried to shoehorn knitting and textiles into my degree as much as possible um and yeah dyeing was definitely an extension an extension of that i got really really into it mm. so it just kind of slowly grew from there yeah yeah i think pre-university i've just remembered the only dyeing that i'd done yarn dyeing that i'd done i bought some kool-aid oh, yeah. um <laughs> And, uh, which is quite hard to get in the UK, probably for a good reason, as I don't know what's in that stuff. But uh, it's like, uh, if you're not familiar with Kool-Aid, it's that uh, like a little sachets of uh, powder that you mix with. I don't know if you mix it with water or lemonade or whatever, uh, and you get flavoured. It's an American flavoured drink product, um, but it dyes protein fibre. So you can use it to dye yarn, you can dye hair with it, uh, and you can dye like human skin with it. So I don't know if you'd want to be drinking this stuff, but um, you can get you, you could get some quite fun colours out of it. And I, I painted a skein with that. Uh, I just had little plastic cups full of Kool-Aid and I painted a skein of yarn with it. And I ended up making a pair of mittens out of that yarn and giving them to my mum. And uh, she absolutely treasured them. They were very colourful. And I think it took quite a while to get the fruit smell out of the yarn, <laughs> but the artificial sort of grape scents that you get with Kool-Aid and stuff. But uh, yeah, that was that was the first proper dyeing project I did, if we can call Kool-Aid dyeing proper yeah. dyeing. But, That's uh, quite nice, actually, that they yeah, also had a was... fruity smell. <laughs> <laughs> right it's quite fun and I feel like if you want to like if you've got kids or whatever it's quite a good way of like getting them involved because I mean maybe they don't, don't get a them. taste for it <laughs> yeah I mean maybe don't let them drink it but uh... <laughs> I don't even know what color it is you can get all different colors oh, all okay. different, oh, okay. different flavors have different colors so you've got like bright orange and there's like blue raspberry and full of I imagine full of e-numbers and sure. stuff that um we're not supposed to have but uh yeah very very like neon colors mm. so yeah, it, was, it was quite fun to work with I know people die with food coloring and stuff but I've never tried that yeah but, uh, 
And in terms of thinking about the kind of things you like to knit, like are there particular things that, I don't know, things you gravitate towards or um, does it matter to you? You know, you said you like to play with colour in terms of feeling a, I don't know, therapeutic benefit from knitting. Does it matter what it is you're making colour wise, tech like fibre wise, pattern wise? I've definitely gone through phases. There was like the big sock knitting phase where mm-hmm. I made loads and loads of socks. I decided that I wanted a drawer full of hand knit socks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my goal. Um, and I went through, there was a year where I made 14 sweaters in a year. And it was very kind of just, I wanted to just wear things that I'd made myself. Yeah. Um, and I go through phases sometimes I find it's really good to have a complicated project whether that's a cable project or a color work project that I have to kind of concentrate every single row because you have to you have to concentrate you have to look what you're doing you have to pay attention um and that's really really good for sort of distracting you from other things that you've got going on or sometimes I just want something a little bit plainer and simpler so that I can uh and more recently I've been really into sort of plain and simple things like great big mulled garter stitch blankets and things um where you can or like stockinette sweaters where I can play around with fading colors in and out holding different yarns together mm. uh, and experimenting that way as opposed to really complicated patterns um where too much color or too much texture would be uh, kind of would lose the pattern um, so it is very much a color um aesthetic yeah, kind of at the moment definitely you have yeah. on your knitting yeah. yes yeah De- that's definitely the sort of stage I'm in at the moment that I went through quite a phase of being like a product knitter where I wanted to make like the newest Hohi Locatelli sweater or and um, the you know the the newest sock design and now I'm definitely kind of embracing, I suppose, embracing that art school thing of playing with colour rather mm. than um, like that's the sort of, yeah, using my knitting as a palette rather than anything else that I'm really enjoying. It Has your relationship with knitting changed, like, because it's your job? I'm, I mean, I know the knitting bit isn't really your job, but presumably yeah. you have to do swatches and stuff like you know you need samples presumably I don't know if you know yeah. those yourself yeah I do I have been um I'm, I have quite a few I have, have over the years I've had a few other people knit samples for me but most of the samples that I've got uh, I've made myself and I have color work uh, colorway swatches I'll have a knit and a crochet swatch of most of the colorways that I dye um I always said that I didn't want to knit for a living because as soon as it becomes an obligation I'm not interested yeah and I think I'm sure there are people who do make a living from knitting, but I feel like it's very difficult to price your time and stuff as well. So I was very kind of adamant that that isn't what I wanted to do. Um, and I don't know. Uh, I do a bit of knitting for work. And and I often I think the thing for me is it's not the work aspect of it that can sometimes spoil knitting for me it can be the podcast aspect of it which I I don't know if that's technically work but uh, I feel like I'm not as I don't have as much time for knitting as I used to have and I feel like there's a pressure to have enough content to film a video um 
because I don't know, do people just want to, you know, hear me talk about stockinette swatches? I mean, spoiler alert, that is all I talked about pretty much on the video that I've just finished <laughs> editing that will be going up this week. But um, yeah, I, I'm aware that when I first started recording the podcast, I had a lot more time on my hands and a lot less outside interests. So I was Know, making like a, a pair of socks a week and like I was making a sweater and a bit every month but now you know I've got other I've got a house to run and the business is busier and you know I've got a bit of a social life so a few other things to um uh to contend with knitting and I feel a little bit guilty that I don't knit as much as I used to but primarily because of wanting to have podcast content mm, sure so it does sound like it's you're kind of treading a careful line in the balance of not wanting it yeah. to turn your yeah. your um hobby yes exactly and joy <laughs> to get that yeah. sapped away by obligation yes definitely yeah sure um would you love to hear about a significant project knitting project that you can think of I don't know if there's something that comes to mind oh. So there are there are quite a few things that I've made over the years that have got that. If I was going to have a little museum yes. of my journey with knitting. So things like the scarf that I made for my dad would be yeah. in there. And the mittens that I made for my mum out of the Kool-Aid yarn. There is only one surviving one left. She left one on a train and was absolutely heartbroken oh. about it. But uh, that mitten would be in there. Um, otherwise sort of big significant projects um I made my dad because he received the scarf so well I was like oh I'm gonna make him a jumper Mm -hmm. and I was still at university I was on a student budget and I got those I don't know if they have these in America but they they definitely have them in like craft stores here in the UK those giant 400 gram balls of wool acrylic uh yeah those I bought I don't know if I bought two or three of those I was like right I'm gonna make an Aaron jumper for my dad for Christmas it's gonna be a surprise it was it was really heavily cabled I don't know if I'd I think I had done one cabled project before a tiny like kids cardigan and I was like oh I can do cables now brilliant I can uh, I can do this really complicated Aaron jumper so it was knit in pieces all of these different cables and like textured stitches and stuff and I was like right I'm gonna make this for my dad and it was a teal color 80% acrylic 20% wool and uh he liked quite big jumpers so it ended up being quite a sizable sweater like I could wear it with like leggings or skinny jeans or whatever and it would be it would kind of come down to my thighs and uh I gave but he didn't try it on because it was a surprise. No, it was a surprise. Ah, oh, it was that would surprise. have me out. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I was young and foolish. Uh, <laughs> and I gave it to him for Christmas. And he really, I mean, he was very suitably appreciative of it. Um, I think he might have worn it about three times. <laughs> and uh, it was so after that, I was like, right, okay, you are only ever getting hats from here on in because you don't deserve this jumper I think I took it back for a while and wore I think it might have gone to a charity shop in the end because it was a little bit big and because it was acrylic it was you couldn't I don't know it it wasn't as nice as it could have been if I uh 
if I knew then what I know now is it was yeah. a beautiful pattern yeah um I would have made it in a it, I used the yarn that I think the pattern required um because I was still very much that sort of stage of knitter where you buy uh-huh. a pattern leaflet from a from a, sure. from a craft shop and you buy the yarn that goes with it because that's yeah. how you don't do a gauge swatch you just buy the yarn that the pattern says and how could it possibly go wrong you know yeah uh, <laughs> it was fine it- but uh yeah. So it sounds like a lot of these significant knits are were gifts. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think um and I I have made a lot for myself over the years. Um I ended up giving a lot of my sweater collection to my mum actually. Uh, so I've just kind of taken custody of them again. Mm. Um but I made myself loads of jumpers over the years and where my body shape has changed and also um going through a gender transition um my the things that I made five plus years ago aren't the things that I want to be wearing now Mm. Uh, so I gave a lot my mum was so grateful bless her she would have anything that was going hamlet socks that I didn't quite like the fit of she'd have them um yarn that I dyed that was a little bit wonky she'd have it jumpers I wasn't quite happy with she was all about it Mm -hmm. so uh she had all of my sweaters I I just I like to be able to give people gifts that I think they're going to enjoy and Mm -hmm. if I spend a lot of time making something and for whatever reason it doesn't turn out something that I would wear I would rather give it to somebody who would enjoy it than Mm -hmm. rip it out and make it again Mm -hmm. so uh, yeah I do give quite a lot of my projects away Mm. and is it still the thing you would do if you had like a I don't know somebody you really wanted to give something to like for a particular reason I don't know a new baby or someone having a difficult time would you still reach for your knitting needles do you think for a meaningful gift definitely so my best friends last year had their oh my goodness it was the year before last now time is flying had their first child uh, who was my honorary niece and I have been really excited about the arrival of this child since before uh, before my friend was pregnant so I had this big stack of knits put aside um but yeah uh I when I make friends with people I have to kind of reel myself in a little bit there was uh, a time I was dating a guy uh years ago and I made this amazing blanket it was a crochet blanket and I made it in shades of creams and browns to go with his living room um like oh this will be great um it's like sort of snuggle under it while you're watching a film kind of blanket Uh, I put a lot of hours into this blanket we broke up about three weeks after his birthday (laughs) and uh and I never I should have asked for it back and I never did but um yeah so I I kind of have to rein myself in a little bit now and I'm like maybe we'll start off with something small like a hat yes test the waters Uh, right (laughs) and then uh, maybe in the future if things work out we'll go with something a bit bigger but uh, yeah for the most part apart from that blanket fiasco and everything has been pretty well received Hmm. because it's not everyone who gets it like even if they're a great friend or whatever they don't always understand the yeah bazillions of hours that went into something exactly and I kind of have a rule where if people don't really really make a point of saying how much they like something or how much they would like a pair of socks or whatever um then I probably won't 
knit them something not because I don't like them but because it's a lot of time um and I don't want to kind of burden them with that thing that they then but I mean I as a kid one of my aunts used to make me a jumper every year usually like a brightly colored acrylic sweater and I was was like oh they're itchy they make me sort of have eczema and stuff and I I I didn't want to to wear them I was you know maybe seven or eight or something like that and I don't want the things I give to people to have that kind of oh well we're gonna go and see auntie Susan this week so you've gotta gotta go and uh, put that cardigan on or uh oh she'll be upset that kind of vibe um so yeah I tend to give my knits or my uh yeah I tend to give them to people who I know will really enjoy them other knitters people who understand the amount of time and effort that goes into it people who've just said that's really nice I would really like xyz the only thing that I don't have that kind of rule with is kids knits Uh, I feel like they're quite quick and as long as you don't give something that's sort of non-superwash to uh, a first-time mum who has never had a handmade like a hand-knit item in the world um you're probably okay because like kids grow really quickly and it's nice to have that sort of small heirloom thing you can put aside in the like little keepsake box mm. or whatever I feel like um yeah I will knit if someone I know is having a baby there's a large chance they will get even if it's just a knitted baby hat they'll get mm. something yeah yeah for sure and it's harder for them to vomit on the hats also <laughs> exactly exactly yeah, it's interesting the concept of like the burden. I hadn't quite thought about it like that before. Um, but I do ha- I have had that feeling. I think I knitted a I don't know if you know the um scout shawl. It's by oh, uh, Florence Spelling. So it's like a intarsia and colour work wow. uh scarf shawl type thing, but it looks like patchwork fabric kind of thing yeah okay yeah and I saw it and thought I really want to like I was attracted to the construction and the look of it I think and I kind yeah. of wanted a yeah I was struggling with feeling like a terrible puppy parent and that, that was oh. not going at all how I thought it should have gone yeah oh no <laughs> and um thought I know I need a sense of achievement from a different yes. area of my life perfect <laughs> yep and um and then my it was my best friend's 40th so I made it for her in colors I thought she would love so it kind of designed like had her in mind from the very get-go but it's yeah. a slightly bizarre present to give to someone with a July birthday um <laughs> who doesn't knit <laughs> yeah, I wondered yes. like is she gonna think I've lost my mind you know like what does she yeah. make of that but she does seem to have loved it and yeah. has, I have seen her wear it so I'm hoping it wasn't a burden in that instance yeah no I feel like <laughs> I feel like we've all had those gifts that whether they're handmade or not you think why why have I been given this and now it's coming to my house and I feel like I've got to keep it like I don't know if I want this I don't know live laugh mm. love knickknack or whatever <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah um hopefully no one feels like that about things that I've made them in the past yeah. I don't know well if, if they do just don't tell me about it I don't want to know <laughs> dude my next question I can't remember if it was on the list because it's a newer mm-hmm. one I've started to ask about but I'm um, I was interested in your relationship to mistakes in knitting because I think yes. they are something I certainly have accepted that are universal <laughs> that they show up <laughs> they certainly do for me I don't know about you oh yeah but um yeah I'm interested in how you manage that 
I get really annoyed by mistakes <laughs> and I I always try and tell people I'm like <laughs> someone when I was at art school a friend of mine said to me when I was making something ridiculous and it was when the Hunger Games was very like uh popular and she said if you wanted something perfect we don't want something perfect we don't want something you could buy in the capital we want something from district 12 <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was like okay I understand that like if I wanted something perfect I could buy it in a shop but I do get quite frustrated with mistakes most of the time if I can fix them without too much effort I will um I recently ripped out a sleeve on a sweater because in spite of my careful planning and alternating skeins and saving little bits of yarn from when I did the sleeve separation, there was still a very visible line between um, the where it separated for the sleeve and where I picked up for the sleeve later. And I'd knit most of this sleeve and I was like, I'm not going to wear this if it looks like that. <laughs> So there's that I hate ripping stuff out because I hate having to do things twice. It really mm. irritates me, but I would rather rip it out and actually wear it than yeah. finish it and not. I know I was knitting, oh, this was years ago. I was knitting, what's the sweater called? It was a Brooklyn tweed pattern. Very, I think it was the Bronwyn sweater. I can't remember who designed it off the top of my head. I was making it out of, I think it was like Knit Picks yarn or something. Um, like a grey worsted weight sweater, very, very heavily cabled. And I was knitting on it at a knit night and just was doing the sleeve and I miscrossed a cable and didn't realise. And it was quite a big, it wasn't just a simple miscrossed cable, there was a big mistake. And I just kept going. And then I looked at it like maybe the next day or so and I was like, that doesn't look right. And it had offset, the whole pattern had kind of been offset. And it was hours of knitting. And I thought to myself, okay, well, how can I fix this without just ripping it out? And I think I ripped out a panel of about 20 stitches wide, dropped down maybe about six inches of knitting. Uh, so I had all of this, it just looked like spaghetti. And I knit my way back up using double pointed needles um, to recross the cables. And, and it was I was I've never felt more like a knitting superhero than I did <laughs> doing that. I took a picture, I think, before and after, and I was like, I did this, you know, this is this is great. Um so if I can go back and fix something, I will. Uh, otherwise I do get really, really annoyed with the mistakes. And I do that thing where no one else would notice the mistake. But I'm like, I finished the sweater. Oh, but there's a mistake. Look at this bit right here. Um, when they wouldn't have noticed but I just yeah. feel like I have to point it out I don't know I, I don't know why I do that but uh, I do try uh, and go back and fix things mm. even though I should embrace the fact that you know no one's perfect and also no one cares that there's a like you know the cable's slightly off center or whatever you know no uh, but I don't I I know I don't know I think we should ditch the shoulds really I think whatever yeah. way you can live with I like that yeah the mistake the easiest I think my mum had yeah. quite a good way of she was like you're the creative director of this thing like can you live with it what can you yeah. live with best can you live with unpicking all of that or can you better live with leaving it and that cable goes the wrong way I've certainly got yeah. some mohair cardigan I'd made and I just separated for the sleeves and then I noticed one of the cables I'd done going the wrong way and it's right down yeah. the center of the thing and you know other people were saying no one will ever notice and I thought well actually 
that was not even my filter that I was looking I was yeah. thinking about what anyone else yeah uh, notices I need to think about is yeah I that's all me? I'm ever gonna see because yeah. I don't want to not wear it as it yeah, was I definitely. left it you know it was mohair I decided I don't care but you know yeah. if it was a like on this sweater that I'm wearing now which is very like a very clear pattern <laughs> yeah if you had uh, a color that was that. off yeah exactly yeah definitely um, yeah so I think you know it's hard to um, yeah make mistakes and feel annoyed and you know you know just how many hours it was <laughs> of work <laughs> I mean I'm really impressed about that spaghetti I think I would much rather rip the whole thing back than when I was doing spaghetti. it I thought to myself that okay well we'll give it a try because if it doesn't work I'll rip it out uh, but I'm very much like I'm not afraid of taking scissors to my knitting um like I have been known to if something doesn't fit quite right I did a, a sweater pattern years ago um and I did the had like hip shaping and when I finished the sweater and I followed the instructions and everything and it looked like I had saddlebags these great big sort of flat pockets um I said, well that's you know ridiculous and I I didn't I I don't know why I decided I think it might have been a bottom-up sweater. Uh, and I okay. didn't want to rip it from the top. That's the yeah, only yeah, reason yeah. I can think about why I would have cut it. Uh, so I just went in. I picked up stitches around. And then I just cut a stitch underneath and ripped from, from ripped down. Uh, and I was like, yeah, well, you know, that's fine. I'll, I will quite happily, like, if I've made a mistake on something. Um, and I'm like, oh, it's just a little bit there. I'll, I'll either I'll cut. And if I can add in an extra inch or so and then graft it back together. Yeah, that's my attitude wow. to mistakes. Don't be afraid to cut your knitting. Wow, that <laughs> is, I think I stopped short at the scissors. You're braver than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd rather do the hours of unpicking. Yeah, that's totally fair. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'd love to hear about something unrelated to knitting that you do to benefit your mental health. It sounds like you've been expanding Ooh. that recently. I really have. Yeah. So um, I. I've been trying very hard to sort of do things that I know that are good for me because I feel I lost both my parents towards the end of last year and I feel like yeah. it's very easy to kind of slide into a funk and um not and once you're in a kind of a spiral it's quite hard to get out of mm -hmm. uh, but losing both my parents made me realize that life is really short and it's too short to not be doing things that you enjoy doing. So I've been I'm, I've been going on a lot of walks outside. I love being outside, um, and that makes me feel amazing. So lots of beach walks, um, lots of time in the garden. I'm growing vegetables and things this year, um, which I'm really enjoying. Uh, and I've been doing a lot of DIY, um, like house improvement stuff, um, making things for my garden. And uh, I've also been uh, starting to get into cooking and baking as well. I've been making bread and like batch cooking things. And I feel like I am channeling both of my parents' hobbies. Uh, oh. My dad was very much, he was really into the garden and he loved going on long walks. And my mum was an amazing cook. And I'm just like doing these things. And sort of as I'm doing them, I'm like, they're bringing me a lot of joy. And also I feel like they would be pleased that mm. I'm doing them. So I'm yeah. trying to be, this is the year where I'm trying to be a bit more balanced because for the, ever since I started uh, Stranded, my yarn dyeing company, I've been very much all about work. 
um it was at first it was I want to work as much as possible so that I can leave my part-time job and then it was I want to work as much as possible so I can save a deposit for a house and then I want to work as much as possible because you know there's a pandemic and all of this other stuff and there's nothing else to do and then so sort of seven over seven years after starting Stranded and I'm like okay all I've really done for the last few years is work and I kind of want to do other things as well so I'm trying to be quite strict with um, having a work-life balance and making time for going for a walk in the morning and making a loaf of bread on a Saturday and things like that and Mm. uh, yeah really really enjoying I'm trying to fit more crafting into my time but uh, it comes and goes Mm. I'm so sorry about your parents and it does sound like like you know it has been an opportunity to connect with things they uh, loved, actually, that you've had that, you know, because of definitely. having your house that has given you those yeah. options. Definitely. Um, um, yeah, I spent my uh, my Saturday, I was making, uh, I think I was making a curry. And I was just, I, I live alone, so I tend to batch cook and put all the portions in the freezer. And I had uh, some of my mum's favourite music on and I was sort of dancing around the kitchen while I was cooking and I just felt it's just a way of connecting I think to people Mm. um but yeah ever since they died it's made me change my whole attitude to life um I don't think I've said to people um but I don't think I'm doing sort of grieving in that sort of traditional I feel like there should be a lot more crying involved in grief um or at least that's how it's portrayed quite a lot um but I am I'm just instead I'm like well okay, I want to just make the most of all the time that I have. And that's kind of, I'm like, okay, I'm going to change how I how I think about my life and uh, all my sort of day-to-day things. So, mm. yeah. And I think grieving, you know, it can look very different. Can't yes. It? It can, you've got to do it your way. Yeah, I think definitely. A big part of the struggle in grieving is this thing that you can't change. Like, there isn't anything to do, is there? Like, there's no... Yeah. Yeah, you like once you've it. got through the kind of piles of death admin and all of the stuff that you know death involves, I mean, you've 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 organised the funeral and you've done all your probate and stuff. But, I mean, they're they're still dead. Yeah, just, the to do list is just done now, and uh, yeah, it's sort of uh, a way of dealing with that, I think. Hmm. But it's certainly something you know we talk about in in therapy with grief is finding like is to remember that the relationship with the person carries on like your relationship with your mum is carrying on in that curry and those that music definitely with your dad in your vegetables that you're growing and definitely you know that that if that can give you comfort and yeah yeah and it really does and I uh I've never been somebody I never really had any opinions or thoughts on what happens after death um I've never been a particular I'm very kind of pragmatic I like sort of things sort of very sciencey sort of what's been I've never really thought about sort of things too spiritual but uh yeah I do feel like um now I kind of I'm like is that a sign is that something from you know mom and dad and uh I mean knowing my luck it wouldn't be something amazing like oh I've, you know I've 
stumbled over a, a pot of gold buried in my garden <laughs> it would be something like that pigeon getting into my studio yesterday <laughs> and uh, you know that if if my mum was here she would have been laughing at that so, so you think they're uh, trolling you from uh, definitely <laughs> I uh, I scattered their ashes um, a couple of weeks ago and everybody always says when well, you're scattering ashes on make sure you're downwind because right. otherwise okay. you're gonna get covered yeah. in ash but they were very specific about where they wanted to go so I went down there at sort of 7.30 in the morning. It was really sunny and beautiful. They wanted to be sort of along the coast. Uh, but where they wanted to be, there was a fence in the way. So I couldn't stand downwind of them. And I got, I mean, most of them went where they wanted to be. But there was like a, a sizable amount of ash on my trousers. And I was like, they would have been laughing their socks off yeah. if they were here. That would have, yeah, they are definitely trolling me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. It's fine. Yeah. But I think what they'd want more than anything would be for you to find comfort in little things, wouldn't they? And to think know so. how to make yourself a decent curry, I'm sure. And Exactly. Exactly. My mum would be really impressed with the amount of cooking. I'm shocked, I think, the amount of cooking that I've been doing. Um, and yeah, just really getting into it. So, yeah. uh, that's and with your took. own veg. That's cool. Yeah. Very excited about that. I haven't grown. I grew some tomatoes in the first lockdown. Um but I haven't really grown anything since. So this year I'm like, right, I'm going to make the most of it. And uh, I've got a very small garden, so it's very container gardening. But uh, there's something really satisfying, similar to making, to knitting, I suppose, because you're making something out of what is essentially just quite nice string. Um, and with gardening, you're growing stuff out of tiny, tiny seeds. And then you've got this whole plant. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, really, really satisfying. So there's something from nothing. And the kind of definitely, yeah, slow and steady. Definitely. Yeah, and I think lots of people talk about that, and I think it's been such a common thing when I ask that question about outdoors, like yeah, people wanting to be outdoors, and and I guess as a, maybe it counterbalances the knitting a bit, which is more inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I always end with asking, what is the greatest gift that knitting has given you for the rest of your life? So I don't know if you've got thoughts oh. about that goodness um it's probably given me quite a lot of gifts really it's definitely helped me be more patient and probably be a bit more of a problem solver like that kind of ripping down and fixing sleeve stitches and stuff I'm sure that's there was definitely quite a lot of character building I think involved Mm. in that um but also it was that sort of escape that I needed um when I was I'm really, really depressed, um, which kind of gave me it like it gave me a, a purpose and things. Um, and in the years when I was kind of like podcasting every week and like knitting was pretty much all I had. It was my whole life. Um, and in another sense, like I wouldn't have stranded if it wasn't for knitting. And without stranded, I wouldn't have the home that I have and the life that I'm building. So I think it pretty much all ties back to knitting. And for that, I am very grateful, even though I'm not knitting as much as I once was. um, Yeah, still very grateful for Mm. everything that's given me. But it might be that that's a kind of, you know, that there are seasons in life for that stuff. I think you need, you know, maybe this is a point in your life where there's very kind of real practical reasons to to explore the other stuff, like the DIY. Yeah. um, You can't sit in a corner of your house and knit and just ignore that stuff. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah you know, things don't things don't get done unless you do them so yeah. uh, it sounds like you're quite yeah. enjoying that stuff 
loving it absolutely mm. loving it I bought my house I uh, didn't own a power drill when I bought my house three and a half years ago and now I'm like yep I've just inherited all of dad's tools um I've just bought a second shed there are now more sheds at my house than there are people <laughs> and uh, I'm living my best life absolutely yeah. loving it I wondered if there were transferable skills with that DIY stuff because I don't I wouldn't say I love it but the times when I have to do I don't know doing something like a flat pack or you know when you have to follow instructions mm, quite carefully yeah, yeah. I feel like I do have some kind of knitting yeah. knitting has yeah, given like, me the ability and the patience to do that and like you said the problem solving yeah yeah and it's always that kind of okay well you know they say sort of read a, I mean I don't know if anyone actually does this does anyone actually read a knitting pattern all the way through before they start it but uh, I definitely don't but this you know, that's sort of <laughs> right quite good advice I should probably read all my IKEA flat pack instructions before I start them but um yeah there's definitely transferable skills there I think problem solving and yeah like and you know making things it's all uh, yeah it's all transferable yeah sure and like you said, the patience and, and people always say knitters are patient. Definitely. And I kind of think, are they? I'm not sure, but maybe. I guess you don't get the thing quickly, do you? Yeah, yeah. But I tend to be quite, if someone tries to talk to me while I'm counting stitches, I'm not very patient then. But, uh, <laughs> but for the most part, all the time. I mean, that's true. No one's perfect. Okay. So it sounds like actually there's a lot you've got from knitting. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Brilliant. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Jude, to speak to you. Oh, um, likewise. And if people want to find out about your yarn and your podcast, where's the best, how's the best yes. way for them to do that? I am Stranded Dye Works on most social media platforms. Um, and you can find me just by searching Stranded Podcast on YouTube. Uh, and also I am strandeddyeworks.co.uk for all of my yarn and all of my social media links and everything are there as well. Okay super thank you so much thank you very much for having me it's been great thank you so much for listening to this episode of the why i knit podcast if you'd like to find out more about my work you can visit my website which is therapeuticknitting.org you can also support the podcast by donating monthly on patreon you can find out more by visiting patreon.com forward slash therapeutic knitting you can also follow me on Instagram at Knitting is Therapeutic. I always love to get your suggestions for people to interview for the podcast. So if you or someone you know would make a great guest on the podcast, then please do get in touch and let me know. You can email me at mia at therapeuticknitting.org or you can get in touch with me by direct message on Instagram.